Hey, I'm Michael Paré, and you're listening to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. We have so much to talk about with this episode. I think we should just jump right in. Just jump right in. Oh, let's do it. Let's do no, it. No uh, social pleasantries. I won't even ask you how your day was. Well, I mean, I saw you, so it, I kind of know. But I don't know how everything was after I saw you. That's true. Like if that's anything true. really uh, messed up happened. I, I went, so Dustin and I uh, saw each other earlier this day, and then I went home and watched the movie we're going to talk about today, oh. 1984's Streets of Fire, right <laughs> after. So it's like fresh. It's in my brain. Uh, we're not going to have any faux pas. Well, we will because that's just us or me, the royal me. No, I mean, yeah, it's, faux pas are bound to happen. Look, you mispronounce a I name, mean, You right? We say a different thing. That could happen. Right? That could happen. This is glorious, though, because do you understand that? I'm sure you do. This is the first Walter Hill film we have oh, discussed on our show. I didn't and understand. Walter Hill is one of my all-time favorite I don't favorite understand. Directors. I don't understand. But now I understand. I mean, I understand. I just didn't know. I didn't, I didn't realize the significance. It's really significant, This is guys. really, this is a big deal. Um, this, this episode kicks off a whole month of Streets of Fire-related episodes. Um because Streets of Fire came out in June of 1984. And, you know, we we're recording this in May, but it's going to be it's released in June. So it's kind of perfect timing that it, it just culminated with, uh, you know, us releasing an interview with Michael Pere and another upcoming interview that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the episode. But oh, here right. we are. Right, right. So to your point, like this isn't premeditated. No. Right. Like we were already doing these things and then yes. it was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. That, that should be, should be, shouldn't be understated. We were already doing these things coincidentally for June and June happened to be the month it was released. Yeah. And then, uh, we reached out to another person in streets of fire and he agreed to come on the show. So we will have that interview as well. Wow. We'll get to that a little bit. So we got Michael Perret. Which everybody knows about because we already announced it. Yeah. So like, whatever. Just a little Tom Cody. Just like. Just just the star of the movie. Just the most handsome man <laughs> in the world. The most rugged, handsome man in the world. Just a uh, little little Eddie and the Cruisers. Little Streets of Fire. A little uh, 
Eddie and the Cruisers too. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie lives. In my mind, Eddie and the Cruisers three. The concert continues. The tour yep. continues. Eddie and the Cruisers four. The legend is revealed. Eddie and the Cruisers five. Eddie unplugged. Eddie and the Cruisers six. Eddie is like, well, Eddie dies. Eddie dies in six, right? Oh, that's where we. Oh, at Coachella, at Coachella, at Coachella on stage. <laughs> The way he wanted, he kind of like fights the, you know, cause he's like, he doesn't want to be in the limelight, but then, but and then he's like, is just totally embracing it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but here we are. But talking we're just talking about, about Street Fire. Yeah. Walter Hill. I mean, you guys all know Walter Hill is one of my all time favorite directors. My all time favorite movie is the Warriors. Uh, I've seen that movie. It's my star Wars. I've seen it well over a hundred times. I'm sure. And, uh, that was my first introduction to Walter Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, I've pretty much watched his entire filmography. Uh, certain movies stand out to me, like Southern Comfort, Extreme Prejudice. But pretty much my number two go-to Walter Hill film is Streets of Fire. Wow. Would you say that Walter Hill is like the master of low-light, dark, moody street movies? Yes, yes. And I think he even went on record to say that Streets of Fire was kind of like a, 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 a loose sequel to The Warriors. And you even because and so you see that with those like dark uh, the, the nighttime shots, the, the subway shots, yeah, the train shots. visually, visually. Right. You're yeah, he's yep. he, it's a mood. It's a mood, man. Like it's a it's a clear mood. And yeah, I don't know if I would be like, oh, this is a sequel because it's you know, it's very different. Um, you know, Streets of Fire is, it's a musical really. And, um, I think he said it was like a nice companion piece. To the yeah. Warriors. I mean that I could see you could do a, a great double header. Tom, which I did go to a double header. I'm, of this. I'm sure you've done to many double headers in your lifetime <laughs> of, of Walter Hill movies. Yeah. Right? He's, he has a very interesting style. Wouldn't you agree? Like a very distinct look to his movies. Uh, he does. And, this movie and the Warriors were both uh, filmed by the same cinematographer, a man who we cannot escape. Um, yet his name does not like implant in one's brain the way other names do. But that, of course, is Andrew Laszlo. And Andrew Laszlo has created a very similar low light atmosphere for both of those movies. Um, you know, street, like you, you, you get a, a real sense of like, uh, grit and grime yes. and dirtiness and like, you know, the streets are kind of wet and shiny and yeah. And it just seems uncomfortable to be out there like without, without the right clothing. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Like, and, like and looking at for the warriors, for example, like wearing a leather vest and nothing else seems incredibly uncomfortable in a Walter Hill movie. Even in the middle of, even in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Even in the middle of summer, even Coney uh, Island. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, to go off of Laszlo, but, but Walt, but still stay on Walter Hill, Walter Hill films have a grit to them overall, uh, and a dirtiness Right? Yeah. Southern Comfort is like dirty South. 
uh, the uh, extreme prejudice is the dirty Southwest, you know, and Mexico and like these these grizzled t tough guys. Uh, he has he he he's kind of personified the tough guy movie. Wouldn't you say like Streets of Fire, the Warriors? These are tough guys. I feel like these are movies where no one bathes ever, you know, and like Tom Cody bathes. Ba Tom Cody bathes. Did he get? He, did he, he bathed in the, he the rain? <laughs> he yeah. Well, that doesn't count. No, I guess not. You know, you're like you're you're having an outfit change, but it's still you're still filthy. Maybe yeah. maybe he combed his hair one time or something, but. Uh, I agree. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there is a griminess. There's a grimy, but in like a cool way. When I was a kid, I thought um, Clint Eastwood's like crow's feet, you know, like the, the, the tan line yeah. crow's feet when you've been out in the sun. Too. I thought that looked cool. I squinted all the time because I wanted to have those <laughs> wrinkles. And now I'm like, God damn, why did I squint why? all the time? Well, when that I was didn't, a kid? that didn't matter. But yeah, that, that <laughs> leathery skin that's yeah. kind of hard and disgusting. Yeah. Like but now. I thought there was a coolness about yeah. it. Yeah. I guess I mean, that's um, not Walter Hill, but you know, yeah, that's not what, well, right. Right, I don't know what what, what you Sergio where, Leone, but where I think Walter us? Hill was. Yeah. Well, I, I'm taking that to like I think Walter Hill was influenced by Sergio Leone a little bit. I think maybe 48 Hours isn't dirty. Oh, well, it's dirty. Oh no, it is dirty. But you James know, James Remar is dirty in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, good point. I just keep thinking uh, the the thing I always think of is just Eddie Murphy in the suit, and I'm like, okay, but Nick Nolte's disgusting. And Nick Nolte is a pig. Yeah. And I don't mean that in like a derogatory no, way. No, he's, he's, he's a sloth. Slob. Slob. Yeah. And it's gritty and it's dark. And it's the bus, buses, subway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sold. Was Brewster's Million gritty or dirty? Yeah. Um, no, that's sort of a departure. Well, I don't know. Doesn't because doesn't uh, Richard Pryor only wear like one outfit the whole time? Actually, yeah, he's he loves wearing his uh, his Cubs jersey, right? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen that in a while, so I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I feel like he might be in that the whole movie. Well, Monty he, he's, Brewster. He, he's not, but then he has to start. You know, the, the premise of that, right? He has to get. He has to spend the the money that he makes over a certain amount of time, and and then at the end, he's kind of back to square one, and he's wearing the same clothes yep. that he started the movie with. Yep. Do they look like they've been washed? No, actually, no. they look a little grimy. No. So there you go. There you go. All right. Thus ends the Walter Hill grimy thesis. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We will have a quiz. Well, no, you. At the I end mean, of but this Dustin episode. Dustin knows that I'm a huge Walter Hill fan to the point where like I've recommended some of his movies and and, and you're like, eh, it just didn't do it for me. Um, but what movie? This movie? What movie was that? Southern Comfort. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, but this movie does it. Powers Booth. Yeah, gritty. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing against Southern Comfort, but that's not Streets of Fire. It's not the Warriors. It's, I mean, it's not. It's not. If anything, it's it, probably more relevant than all of the movies. Southern Comfort, maybe. I mean, can can <laughs> I list like some a, of the movies? 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to list some of the Walter Hill's films to you. And I want you, if, if you have seen them, yeah. if you haven't seen them, say haven't seen it. Okay. If you have seen it, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Okay. All right. I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick to, uh, late seventies, early eighties. Right. All right. Okay. The Warriors. This will be my thumbs up sound. Bing, bing. <laughs> oh, very fancy. <laughs> uh, the Long Riders. Uh, this will be my, th- my thumbs down. Haven't seen it. Ag <laughs> <A>. bear, <laughs> uh, right? Wait, what am I doing? Am I just saying if I've seen it? If you if you if you give it a if you've seen it, get thumbs up, and you liked it. If you haven't seen it, or you didn't, or you didn't like it, you can give me a thumbs up. Okay, so that was a thumbs up because I haven't seen it. The long ride. Okay, yeah. have seen it, not a big fan. Right. Uh, Southern Comfort. Right. Seen it. Bring yeah. I mean, I liked it. I liked okay, it. Cool. Yeah. 48 hours. Yeah. I'm changing my sound. Up, I like that. Up higher. Streets of Fire. Well, well, hold your Streets of Fire. We'll come back to that. Hold it. This might surprise you. Um, Red Heat. Oh, okay. Yep. Red Sonia. I'm a big fan of Red Heat. I love that movie. Man, if yeah. we ever got Jim Belushi on, or John Belushi, Jim Belushi, Jim Belushi. James, um, Jim, John. And They're one more, one more for to round out yep. the early 90s. Uh, another 48 hours. Yeah. Bring, bring. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. You know what? The Iceman. No, I skipped over quite a few. Sorry. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to do a couple awkward. more. I'm going to do a couple more. All right. A couple more. Crossroads. I had... Uh, with Ralph Macchio? Yes. That's so strange. But yes. Bing. Yep. It is strange. And if you haven't seen yeah. Crossroads, guys, go check it out. Highly recommend. Uh, Brewster's Millions. Yep. The aforementioned. Bing. Extreme Prejudice. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Bing. Yeah. Really cool movie, yeah. by the way. If you haven't seen that one. Great cast. Um, Johnny Handsome. Uh, I have not seen Johnny Handsome. You've oh really? No. Yeah. Oh, we're watching that together. All right. That's that. Dare I say, one of the last good Mickey Rourke movies. Yep, I haven't seen it. Okay, one more, and then I'll close it out. Mm-hmm. Trespass. Trespass. Uh, okay. Remind me who the cast is. Bill Paxton, Ice T, Ice Cube, and William Sadler. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Do I like it? I feel like I do. Bing, bing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. I think it actually uh, aged. I think it actually aged really well. Yeah. Um, it's it it's a great kind of treasure map in the projects story. Yeah, very few Bill Paxton movies that I don't like. I think just overall. Yeah, me too. He's. He always brings his A game. Every movie he is in, he elevates. Yep. I think. Yep. Um, I mean, Walter Hill has has written screenplays. You know, Alien, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Blue Blue City with Judd Nelson, but who really cares about that? Uh, what actually, what year was that? Uh, that was eighty six, I believe. Blue City. No idea. I haven't watched it in forever, so I will I will reserve judgment until I watch it again. No idea. But man, Streets of Fire, Streets of Mother Effin' Fire. Uh-huh. Um, 
dare I say, an underrated classic? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, you could say that. It's funny because the thing about Streets of Fire, and I will now go into the synopsis for just for anyone who hasn't seen it, but presumably if you haven't seen it, you're not listening to this, but if you haven't seen it and you are, you know, I, I'm always impressed like by listeners. Like if you are a listener and you're like, I don't know what Streets of Fire is and you're listening to this, bless you, thank you, I applaud you. Yeah. Um, you're going to get a little bit of some insight into this movie. Um, you know, obviously we always recommend, you know, that you do kind of watch it at some point anyway, whether you watch it before, during, not during, but before or after you listen to us, uh, we appreciate it. But so this is, um, this is a, a story about a guy named Tom Cody played by Michael Perret, whose ex-girlfriend, uh, Ellen Aim, rock star. Uh, played by uh, an 18-year-old Diane Lane. 18. She nice. gets kidnapped by an equally young Willem Dafoe, playing a character named Raven, leader of a vicious bike gang. Um, she gets kidnapped. Tom comes back to town to kind of rescue her. And uh, and there's a lot of cool music and, um, and badassery. And, you know, it's not one of these movies that's like driven by story doesn't really have to be it's driven by visuals it's driven by atmosphere um and it's you know i think it is it it, it had a super high expectations it had a super high budget it had an unknown leading man and um yeah and i think and i think similar to a movie we've covered last month remo williams this too was was hopefully going to be a trilogy. Yeah. Didn't open so great. That never came to fruition. Uh, but the question on everybody's mind is like, is it good? Right. Is it like, like, is it, was it not good for the time? Was it a, like what actually happened that, that prevented it from, you know, I think, I, I think there was, there was a lot of money spent maybe on things that it weren't as important yeah. at the end of the day. And Yeah studio got a little nervous didn't open that great yeah because it, its budget was like 14 something million which at the time was a lot for a movie in 1984 yeah and uh total box office at the end of the day after it was said and done and it was finished being shown in theaters was like not even half well it was a little maybe a little more than half mm -hmm. <laughs> right so it was a consider it was considered a bomb it was considered uh, a loss by the studio, and a lot of factors went into that. Um, you know, they they. I don't think people knew how to how to take this movie. Yeah. You know, for for what it was, it opens with this uh, title card that says a rock and roll fable. Totally. And, like, what does and that I, mean? I love that personally, yeah. but you would. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just like the Warriors, this is a very unique and different approach to a action movie. Yeah. It's a musical. It's a comedy. It's a drama. It's a romance. And it's an action movie. It's got like all of those elements. It really is a fever dream to, in some respect yeah. because you're just like watching this going, whoa, what the hell is happening right now? 
Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's even just talk about the opening sequence and I know we don't, we don't go scene by scene, but it, it yeah, bears yeah, yeah. to mention that the opening sequence goes on for a very long time. Like Almost so the, an entire song, you don't, you don't settle. You don't really settle into the movie because like the, he's not really settling into scenes. It's like things are kind of happening. Tom goes home to the, to his sister's diner. Some guys come in and kind of while this, you know, uh, scuffle that, that comes, a scuffle arises. And while the scuffle is happening, they're still cutting away to title cards. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, I don't think I ever, I don't, I can't think of other movies that have done that. Like where, you know, you're kind of in something and then you're like pulling away to be like, you know, directed by Walter Hill. Well, um, John Carpenter, John Carpenter does that. Does he? He actually did. He did that a lot in the mid eighties. Uh, oh, did he? Prince of Darkness. Oh, yeah. Shows how yeah, good so my memory is. The opening to Prince of Darkness sets the stage to the rest of the movie, kind of outlines the plot in the beginning of the movie. You know, mm -hmm. that they've got to investigate this church because the guy who held the key to this weird thing in the chamber died in the opening. Opening credits take almost five to seven, maybe seven or eight minutes because uh, it, 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 they intercut the, the credits in between the scenes of the movie. Just like they do in this, the difference of this being this opening scene uh, doesn't really lay the the groundwork for the whole movie. It's just one scene. Mm, it's it's okay. Tom Cody coming home to his sister. And this is after, and, and this is worth noting too, this is after the opening of the movie, the true opening, which is uh, a musical performance by Diane Lane, a.k.a. Ellen Aim and the Attackers, her band, doing Nowhere Fast. Okay, interesting. So I stand corrected, so clearly. But, but yes, it's like you're out of that and then you're still, but you're not out of that. Yeah. the song is still playing right the song is still playing over the credit like the well, whole the song the song yeah because the song opened the the opening to the movie you know she she does her performance then she gets kidnapped and then it cuts to tom cody showing up with the credits interspersed uh it, it yeah. shows up to the diner where his sister played by deborah deborah von Valken, deborah von valkenberg rolls right off the warriors tongue. fame oh. and too close for comfort fame of course <laughs> Yeah. And Zach's dreams, <laughs> fantasies. Yes. Uh, yes. Although your stories of meeting her have been very underwhelming, right? No, they've been no, they've been nothing but what? nice. No, uh, I met. I went. Was she to... on your other show? No. Oh no! I, and in fact, I feel like you're being diplomatic, but uh, but no, it was bad, right? It was no, bad. it was good. It what? was good. Court, court. And by the way, by the way, when you said uh, you know our audience, may oh have... yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's Corey. Please. Corey from Podcasting After Dark, our homie Corey, uh, he hasn't seen Streets of Fire yet. He's never seen it. Yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. He's busy <laughs> watching weird boob movies and like uh, just <laughs> movies you'd never heard of. Uh, this is true. This is true. But, but yeah. Corey, you need to see this movie. Um, but no, Deborah Von Valkenberg, I, I moved, a, I moved to, down to Los Angeles in 2004 and I went to a screening of the Warriors at the Hollywood You and I Cemetery. moved to LA the same year? Did we know that? Oh, you moved out in 2004 yeah. also? Oh. I've, how have we never spoken about this before? We've never spoken about exclusive. That's weird. Yeah. Weird. Is it weird or does it make I guess. sense? I guess. Well, yeah, good point. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Please continue. Um, now, I went to a screening of the Holly, at the Hollywood Cemetery, outdoor screening. 
For those that are not familiar, the Hollywood Cemetery does a screening not on, you're not sitting on graves or anything like that. It's on like their grassy area. And they did a screening of the Warriors. This is before it became super huge and everybody and their mother went to the screenings. And no joke, I was sitting less than 10 feet away from Deborah von Valkenberg at the screening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I did not know she was sitting next to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then the MC of the night said, "Well, Mercy is in the house tonight." Yeah, crowd goes wild, and they said, "And it's her birthday!" Holy shit! And she raises up her hands, and she's right next to me. And you tackled her, and I did, and then I got arrested. Um, but then the DA dropped the charges because he's bought by the. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I thought the story was something like that. You were at a. Uh, I don't know, like, because this wasn't your bachelor party, you didn't see that. But, but you were at you were at a screening, and she was like sitting next to you and said something really weird to you, like something really like, like resigned and like she was like abused or something. No, okay, no, <laughs> it didn't happen. Maybe that's somebody. It must her, have been somebody else then. I don't know. Yeah, there probably was. I, I don't know who that was at the moment, but uh, but uh, flash forward many years later, flash. Flash forward many years later, and I went to a autograph signing, and, and, and she remembered me, and we had a nice little exchange back and forth. It was really sweet. Oh, I think that was what I was thinking of. It was, you had a nice exchange? We did. We did. Uh, but then she, as we're talking, and she's got a smile on her face, she has her jar that you're supposed to put oh, the money in. Oh, this is what it like, is. This, when are you going to put the money in the jar? This is what it is, yeah. For the autograph. Okay, this like, is the story. I, I oh. like how I made a abused thing up, but... Yeah. But then I told her I didn't want her autograph. I just wanted a photo with her. And she was like, oh, okay. Photos are free? <laughs> no, they weren't. Oh. But, but yeah, it was it was a little underwhelming, but but having but she did remember the the, the Hollywood cemetery, you know. I, like, I think that's what it is to me. It's like you think that you're having this genuine connection with somebody of, over whatever this like movie that you love so much, and then you like look down and like she's shaking the the money cup. Yeah, it was a little it's, bit like E.G. Daly's character in this movie when she meets Ellen Aim for the first time and tells Ellen what a big fan she is, and Ellen's like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. I don't write the music. I don't write it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, let's... Yeah, let's, but, it, but it becomes your music. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess so. All right, we got to get into this now. Let's get into okay, this. Yeah. Let's, so, let, well, right? Really quick. Characters, really quick, let's I, go. Yeah, I did, yeah, let's... Yeah. We have to just really... Should we talk about the cast or along the way? I mean... Like yeah. this movie is like star powered. It's star powered. It is star powered. I mean, we've already mentioned some uh, in the quick synopsis, but who else is in there? Okay, we got Rick Moranis as Billy Fish, Ellen Ames' manager. You guys and know quite possibly his worst, uh, his biggest asshole role he's ever had. Yep, yep, yep. I have lots to say. Lots to say. Uh, uh, who else is in there? Um, Amy Madigan. Amy Madigan. Love her. As uh, McCoy? McCoy. Yeah, McCoy. McCoy. She's uh, Ed Harris's wife. She was in Field of Dreams. Yep. Great. Fantastic. Awesome. Actor. The Sorrells, the, 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 the band, right? I mean, the Sorrells are, are a band that you meet towards the end of the movie. Who's, who's in the Sorrells? In the Sorrells, you got uh, Grandel Bush, known for Die Hard, uh, some other stuff. You got, I was in the third grade, dickhead. Yep. Great, great line. <laughs> Uh, you got uh, Stoney Jackson, um, Stoney Jackson, the leader of the band. I probably said this in the wrong order, but you got Stoney Jackson. Um, 
We'll get back to him in a You've second. You've got Robert Townsend. This is our second Robert Townsend movie that we've covered. He was in American Flyers. Um, but this is the first one where he has no lines. Yeah. Well, that, right. Or that we, right. No, like notable something. He was not play, yeah. paid as a featured performer for sure. Or maybe he was, but you know, yeah, no, no, like on camera. Maybe he's like, Hey, what's up? Or something. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, who is it? It's Michael T. Yep. Michael T. Bubba Gump. Um, Bubba Gump. But then I look at him and I think first movie that comes to my mind is Wildcats. Wildcats. Which we haven't talked about. No, we did. We, no. we talked about it with Jay Zoo, but we never we, we never, never covered focused it. on it. Interesting. Okay. It feels like we, we should have. because the director is the same director as Fletch. So Yes. Michael Ritchie. Yeah. We'll get to it. Interesting. We'll to it. Interesting. Right. And then um right. You said Willem Dafoe, uh uh Lee Ving. Um, Lee Ving, guys, if you don't know who Lee Ving is, he, he's an actor. He was in, well, we talked about him in, in The Wildlife, because uh, he's in The Wildlife yeah. for a small role. The cable but guy. He's a punk rock singer for a band called Fear. Yeah. Um, anyone else, anyone else notable that I'm not topping up my, topping up my head? Well, I Top- want to mention, do you know who Richard Lawson is? You may not, that name may not sound super familiar. The host in, of The uh, Family Feud. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Richard. Dawson. He plays the sheriff uh, in the movie, and he or the police chief, and he's uh, he was in Poltergeist. He was one of the uh, uh, the guys who uh, one of the Ghostbusters, I guess. So yeah, speak. he's good. I think he's yeah, he's probably he's maybe the really s- fucking good. smartest character in the movie. He is the smartest, and he's he's just cool looking. Like I Logical. think he's cool. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of. You're you might be omitting a few people, and I almost want to bring them up later. Good idea. Let's what bring does up. Dustin. Know? I'm sure I'm, I'm omitting people. I mean, but I did I did bring up uh, earlier. E.G. Daly is in this. Uh, oh, her character's yeah. name is Baby Doll. Of course. And she, I love how she goes on record and she says, like, you know, I really wanted to be on stage singing like Diane Lane. Yeah. But I always got play. I always got the buddy character, or mm-hmm. the weird friend. And I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, it would have been weird if she was on stage as Ellen Aim, but I get it. I, I I understand. Yep, that wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she'd be fine, but that's not. Yeah, listen, love you, E.G. Love you, Elizabeth. But I mean, sincerely, she's yeah. a fantastic <laughs> person. But it would it wouldn't have been the same. You said you said uh, you said Diane Lane was eighteen when she made this movie. Yeah, so. She made a movie prior to this mm-hmm. uh, called The Stains. Like, uh, it's a punk rock. She plays a punk rock singer yep. in that movie as well. Um, and she was she must have been like 16 in that movie then. Yeah, apparently. I mean, yeah, apparently she was... Walter Hill didn't really want to cast her because she was too young. Yeah, because the- this, this... Yeah, she did a movie in 82 called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous stains yeah i mean uh, she was cool child actress yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. six pack <laughs> yep yeah six pack but anyways she she looks phenomenal in this there are there are moments when she looks older than 18 uh very much like a woman uh-huh. but then there's moments when she looks very much like a young yeah, person like a baby like a teenager yeah and i'm just like oh yeah that's a little awkward because michael Perret at the time he wasn't a kid but he was a little bit older yeah, what was he, 24? I think he said he was 24. 
It's twenty. Yeah, yeah. He talks about that on our exclusive interview with yep, Michael. Exclusive Bray in interview a weeks. in two weeks. Uh, one thing I did want to say too is um, that's very interesting about this movie is like so it's it's in eighty four you know but it's it's like a hybrid because there's all this fifties elements right like the fifties diner the band is like you know all the bouffant haircuts and uh, um, it's the love of the fifties that we've talked yep. about before that these. You know, there's like this 30 year thing. That's why everybody's into the 80s and starting to toe dip into the 90s now. Yep. Yep. The next year will be will be the 90s. But yeah, but it's 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 very good about like there's not a definitive time or place. Right. It's just like sometime. And I think it even says that like sometime in the world. Another time, another place. Another time, another place. Right. Like it's just very rock and roll fable just coming in to this, you know, dirtiest city ever. Um, but I like that. I like that. It, it's, it's made like clear, clear hybrid decisions, which I enjoy. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not like, um, it's futuristic or anything like that. It's very much this weird time warp. Um, God, but it feels, it feels so good. Like the opening of the movie, the, 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 the songs that are playing, like the, nowhere fast which is the opening song of the film maybe not is the is maybe not the strongest song on the soundtrack but it's such you're a just bringing us into way. music already huh you're just taking us in there we haven't even talked no, about no, the well, characters I mean, have to with this <laughs> like it's just the way you open with this this musical number you open with a musical number and then right after that, bang, she gets kidnapped by Willem Dafoe. Ellen Aim gets kidnapped very by bold. Willem Dafoe and taken off in this like riotous, uh, very like intense action scene. It's a very bold kidnapping, you know, like to be like, let's get her. And when I say now, we'll rush the stage and we'll get her. And then that's when you realize, oh, wait, there are only two cops in the city. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Great. Well played, guys. But literally everyone else has a gun. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But they, but they are, they are, people are rioting like in a way as if they are being attacked or something. And it's, it's, it's kind of absurd. Like it's a, it's an, it's an absurd, like it's a fun way to open a movie. But I was like, why is that lady screaming and just like running it? Like no one's chasing this person, you know, like they, oh, yeah. they took Diane Lane and they're, they've got her and they're like leaving and everyone's like, no, like, why don't you guys do something? Why well, doesn't somebody try and you know, be proactive instead of, uh, or reactive. Just, just do something. Yeah. She's like the, the woman Dustin's talking about is screaming in, in like horror in horror. Like she's just had her child ripped from yes. her hands or something. Like a monster's just eaten her baby in front of her. It like, it's, it's that kind of, it's, it's powerful. that kind of thing. It is, well, but it's, it, it's just chaos for the sake of chaos. Like, because it's not like these guys, you know, just like, blew up the place or started shooting people or like, you know, they're just taking her and driving away kind That's of, true. although d- doesn't somebody get dragged or is that a different movie? Does someone get well, dragged there are by the people motorcycle? That try to interfere and then they get their asses. They get, them, so. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's one guy in particular that gets involved in the, in the, in the initial melee and gets knocked on his ass. You rec- recognize that guy? Oh, well, we didn't mention him, right? So that's... Uh, on purpose. On purpose. Okay, Bill Paxson is yeah. in this movie. <laughs> One of Bill Paxson's first movies. Um, yeah, and he kind of like draws his gun and he's like, 
You got, or does he have his gun at that point? Yeah. No. 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 He's just like the bartender in this club. Well, no, no. He, he rushes the stage. He's a fan. Oh, he's a fan? He's not a bartender yeah. there? Oh, he's no. a bartender at the other place. Right. Right, he rushes the stage, but then he's kind of like, he he's slowly like, hey, come on, like guys. What yeah, you doing? pulls the guy to turn him around. Yeah, he gets his, he gets whacked, the shit whacked yeah. out of him. Um, they filmed this at the Wiltern, right? The, in 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 Los Angeles, mm-hmm. this scene, um, and they come back to it again at the end. But right before the melee happens, when she's performing her song, the shots of the crowd feels so authentic and so real. Yeah, yeah. Like the the Deborah von Valkenberg's character, uh Tom Cody's sister, uh Reva is is like uh Reva, right? Reva. She um like she's singing along to the song and it's like you can feel the energy. I just happened to I cranked the sound on this thing when I watched it. Yeah. And so it felt like I was at a concert. It just felt so good. And the band that backs um Ellen Aim, they're a legitimate band that performed with the actual woman who sings this song. Uh, we'll get on into the soundtrack later, but but it just it just feels authentic, real. It's shot so well. Like the my first note I wrote down was like, this is so well directed mm. and shot, mm-hmm. and the the sound and just the editing, just all of it fires all at once. It's good, man. I feel like. Um... <sighs> We've talked about we we talked a little bit about the synopsis. Um, once Ellen is kidnapped, it's kind of a. I guess there's a lot of subtext when you really start to think about the movie, but the fact is like that it's almost like Tom's sister suggests to him. There's a scene in the montage where there's a letter saying, "Dear Tom, yeah. come home. Ellen's been kidnapped." Yes. He comes home for that, but then it's just kind of. Doesn't you know he's not a guy who shows his feelings, so he's just kind of like, uh, eh, that's that sucks. But what do, you know, what's it got to do with me? I just got back from the uh, from the army. You know, I'm a soldier. Yeah, I'm I'm on a little R and R right now. Yeah, I'm a little, you know what what a great place to relax in uh, this <laughs> wonderful city. Um, the shithole, as Rick Moranis calls it. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But not wrong. Uh, that's the only thing he's right about, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah. but then it's kind of this weird thing of like. Whose idea is it for him to go after Ellen? Because it seems like it's his sister's idea. Then he's like, yeah, that sounds good. I could use the the, 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 the cash. And then, uh, you know, he just happens to have met Amy Madigan there, this yep. McCoy. And by the way, this, this, this casting decision is, is really smart. You don't yeah. see this a lot. The, rough tough at least in 84 you did not see this a lot um female sidekick who kicks ass always has like the smart comeback um and we know that this was originally uh going to be edward james almost like i think in this character for of like a chubby uh right hispanic yeah, sidekick. yeah, Hispanic sidekick, a, a male, just like a like whatever, like an, an out of shape ex soldier, same kind of thing. And Amy Madigan was auditioning for the sister and was like, "I really want to be this character." I mean, what, that's just so cool. It, it, it's cool, and yeah, I respect the hell out of it. it for me, it gives 
this film even more cred. Um, she's like the she's like the peppermint patty character <laughs> come to life. <laughs> really, really fun, uh, fun analogy. And, and and she in many ways, and it's not Comparison. like, and we've had we've had gay and lesbian characters in Hollywood at this time as well, and it's been very cliche and. And but they don't make her into that cliche lesbian lesbian character. They kind of joke around, like they play yeah. around with that possibility. But she's very much like I don't want to say androgynous or no, no like uh, she's not asexual. She's very much like you know, well, I had this boyfriend or that yeah. boyfriend, what you know, and and maybe playing around with the idea of bisexuality at that time. Who knows? I just think it's very cool how they portray her in a in a in a. It just feels very authentic. It doesn't feel like a caricature. It does. It doesn't feel like she's trying to like stereotype. Play that butch, you know, chick. She's not. She's no. like she's doing like this. It's it's like a very well fleshed out character. Yeah, she can handle herself. You're never like concerned about her. Where whatever no. situation she's in in this movie, you're like, oh, she's she's fine. cool, and she has yeah. that moment too, right? Yep. When uh, yep. later on in the movie, when yep. she she has her moment. To show her badassery, and she yeah, is. There's a lot of there's a, yeah. This is it's just a, it's a fun relationship with her and Tom. So yeah, he ends up hiring her, or she ends up just like like just kind of tagging along for this mission. But he goes to Rick Moranis, who plays Billy Fish, uh, Ellen Ames' manager slash lover. Uh, yeah. What? Well, in I what mean, universe is that a relationship? As as much as I agree with you that it's like absurd. Let's be honest. Let's right. look at An these relationships. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I think of like it Brittany happens Murphy all the time with her husband. Yeah. No, it it, ha- it it happens all the time. It's just like Rick Moranis is not cool. He is yep. so fucking unlikable. Yes. His character is the biggest fucking dude. Everything out of this guy's mouth is like, you know, you mentioned E.G. Daly. Like, he could get out of here, you moron. He's just like rude to yeah, first everyone. Thing he says to her. Yeah. You're like, whoa, slow down buddy you're in a town yeah so tom is like oh i'll rescue ellen for ten thousand dollars and um but you also have to come with me like he he really he really kind of finagles it like yeah you're gonna pay me 10 grand and you're gonna come with me we don't even know why like really i mean he's like he's like you you know i need i need some what does he say i need like a nap it's not a navigator but like Oh yeah, yeah, because Rick Moranis knows the, the area, the the yeah the the battery, the battery. He knows the battery. <laughs> he knows the battery because he played there, or he's from there, or something. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But he was like, yeah, you're gonna make a left over here, and it's just so the whole thing's just so funny, like immediately. Um, well, and Tom Cody, like you said, he he does he keeps his um, emotions close to his chest, like he holds it in. But he, we know he has a relationship with Ellen Aim. It's his ex-girlfriend, yep. and he's in love with her. Yep. And I think, for myself personally, when I saw this movie in '84, uh, and subsequent, and many times after, like his brooding uh, is so, um, just I, I connected with the brooding. Like it, it, Walter Hill, like the way. The way he shot, the way uh, Perez's character Tom Cody looks through this whole thing, like I wanted to, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, let yeah, me interrupt you there. It. Did you? Because this is a question I had. Because I know you like about the duster and everything like that. But did you just put? Did you put on suspenders and like walk around and be like, I'm, yeah. I had I had Mork and Mindy suspenders 
but D- okay, so not Did the you, same. Okay, did you ever put those on and wear those to school? And not like Tom Cody, no. Yeah, because that's because that's a very dated. Like that look, is a very specific wardrobe it's choice. Like 1920s, right? Yes, it's like, and that's where you get a little of that going on. Like so, yeah. it's a little twenties, it's a little fifties, it's a little eighties. Uh, yeah, you couldn't just wear that to school in eighty I, I, in eighty five. No, I got picked on well enough uh, for other reasons. <laughs> for so other reasons, <laughs> I would have got my ass kicked, probably guaranteed. Right, you would have gotten like so mean. hung by your suspenders, probably. In your locker or yeah, something. yeah. I would have been dunked in the toilet, got a swirly. Oh, yeah. man. But anyways. Oh, anyways. God. Kids. Yeah. I mean, kids suck. Kids are the worst. <laughs> they really do. Never have them. Suck. Anyone listening? Oh, no. Just kidding. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> except for my own. <laughs> oh, too late. Too late. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you, but uh, Tom Cody, like, his kind of careless, carefree, I don't give a shit attitude. I'm back home to help out my sister. I'm helping out my sister because every, everyone's heartbroken because- Ellen Aim is like, she's kind of the hometown girl. Right. Made good. Right. Hometown girl becomes a, a superstar coming yeah. home to play a concert for her people. But, you know, as you've said, it seems like she's like, that's the thing too. Like she doesn't seem to even love it. There's a lot she doesn't love about it. Well, she, she's still so in love with Tom Cody. Yeah. This is where, cause I started like trying to figure out why she is such a jerk at times. And you, and you and I even talked about this too. There's many of these characters are unlikable people on, on kind of for the most part, like so many of the, yeah. of the, uh, you know, Rick, Rick Moranis, Ellen aim. She's not a nice person until, you know, but she's so wounded. Yeah. Right. And, and she's just a heartbroken, that's kind of the deal. Yep. It's like, she's just a heartbroken person. And when you're heartbroken, you're an asshole. So there you go. Yeah. Tom, Tom does a lot of unlikable shit. Ton of unlikable shit. Um, like hitting his girlfriend yep. in the face. Just punching her. Will you shut up? You go, you're going to go do this. I'm going to knock you. That's not what he says, but that's, no, that's not what that's, he says. again, that's all the he subtext. D- he takes her, he cold cocks her by surprise. Yep. Because he wants her to obey him and go back to safety. Coming with you, Tom. You're not coming with me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the the most likable characters are the Sorrells. They are. They are. We're, we're jumping ahead. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're not gonna. Again, we're not yeah, breaking this. We're not breaking. Down. Yeah. This is you want. You want breakdowns? You go. You go somewhere else. Go to yeah. Go to podcasting. Go after somewhere dark. else. Podcastingafterdark.com. <laughs> Three and a half but, hours minimum. No, the Sorrells are the most minimum. The Sorrells are the most likely. If you characters. have four and a half hours, I'm just gonna keep cutting you off. If you have four and a half <laughs> hours to to spare, and you want a breakdown of a movie, scene by scene, line by line, uh, reaction shot to reaction shot, podcastingafterdark.com, podcastingafterdark.com, hosted by Zach Shaver and Corey Stevenson. That's so nice of you for that for that plug. Um, okay, I'll let you talk to. Uh, no, well, I, I just want to say because I keep as we're kind of talking about certain people and scenes, I'm like, man, I really want to bring up this character. I'm holding back on a few of these characters because this is going to come up in our, what does Dustin know segment for Patreon. Um, fine. So for those of you that don't know, we have a Patreon 
patreon.com slash $2LateFee. And we have some great segments on there. And one of them is what does Dustin know? And uh, sometimes we do it theme-based. Last month we did an NBA one. Actually, last month we did a Remo Williams one. Uh, and this month we're doing a Streets of Fire one. So okay. I might tease one of the questions and then we'll, I we'll, love, we'll just have to sign I up. love a good theme. Uh, I, I, I think I fare better overall with the themed episodes. Although, yeah, I'm still really good in the 90s. And we're not in the 90s. Dustin crushed it in the so, NBA one a couple months back. Just, so. uh, yeah. But for you, listener, it's a fun way for you to play along and see how much more you know than than I. So, yes. Yeah. And, it, and, if, and, and for those of you that are signed up, you know that we're, we want to make it even more interactive. And for those of you that are not signed up, this is an opportunity to jump on the $2 late fee Patreon train. It's a lot of fun. So please consider doing that. End of cheap plug. Um, yeah, before you get to the Sorrells, I really just want to say, because, you know, Tom Cody does his thing. Uh, they go to rescue Alan Aim. They did, spoiler, they do, uh, from uh, Willem Dafoe initially. Willem Dafoe is such a great villain. Uh, he, he looked pretty much the same in a movie called The Loveless that came out earlier uh, a few years prior, directed by Catherine Bigelow, I think. Mm. Um, One of her first, maybe. I re- yeah, and I remember seeing him in this thinking, oh, he would be a great Joker if they were going to do like a Batman movie. This is before Tim Burton's Batman. And then they yeah. cast Jack Nicholson. And I'm like, I think you should have cast Willem Dafoe as the yeah, Joker. They, he would have been even better. They tried to make up for it in the when he was uh, the Green Goblin. Spider-Man. Yeah. But I mean, Willem Dafoe is a legend. Dare I say, maybe the the most uh, successful actor from this movie, and he plays such a great villain in this. His yep. partner in crime, Lee Ving, is so good too. But um, as as the yeah, well, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that either. I'm gonna hold okay, hold it up. But know. you you could not get away with wearing what Willem Dafoe wore to school. What is that like a leather? He, uh, he in the in the beginning of the movie he wears like a leather what is that uh like like leather overalls leather overalls with no shirt yeah no i wouldn't do that i i was <laughs> i didn't idolize him I, he was too pasty for me too he pasty. was too pasty yeah. right tom cody was gristled i wanted a five o'clock shadow so damn bad because of tom cody yeah but it's like it, like if what you know now you'd be like oh yeah but when it comes down to just like pure acting like just fucking craziness you know like willem dafoe is just like he's just a creepy fucking he's got that he's got that thing man he's got it he's i think what helps it too is like there's a scene where he's surrounded by flame right and it it really elevates the the just the intensity of his look you know, mm-hmm. a couple of scenes where in the movie, the scene at the end when he ho- holds up the um, uh, the little sound maker, the <laughs> the horn or whatever. <laughs> sound you know? maker. Sound the, maker. The <laughs> little toot toot. Yeah. Uh, just the the way the yeah. camera pans up on him and just it's yeah. so intense. So, so chilling. So chilling. When I hit my horn, guys, you're going to come out and be scary. It's a scary scene. I think it's badass. It's such a great scene. It is badass because they have, he has the right amount of guys come out. You know, like it would not be scary if it was any, if it was like two, two bicycles less, (laughs) 
you'd be like, eh, yeah, right. like five guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's Walter Hill, though. Like, you think about the Warriors, yeah. and again, that's the connection to the Warriors, too. Like, this massive gang. There's just, like, hundreds of yeah. them. Yeah. You're like, where the hell do they get these guys? Yeah. What is the gang? I'm spacing on the name of the gang. Of of uh, of Willem Dafoe's gang? Yeah. The Bombers. Thank you. A bunch of bombers are causing causing chaos, blowing shit and up. Yep. Again, uh, you know, Walter Hill is like, it, I have a feeling you can tell what his influence was. Uh, he didn't. He co-wrote this, right? He wrote this with uh, Larry Gross, who also wrote Forty Eight Hours and another Forty Eight Hours and True uh, True Crime, the Clint Eastwood movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell what Walter Hill's influences are, like that kind of banter. The that 50 style banter that they have, um, yeah, yeah, Rick, you know, because you were saying Rick Moranis is so unlike, yeah, like, get away from me, kid, you bother me. It's a lot of like, yeah, but it's and that's rude. straight off the page, yeah. none of that is improvised. Oh, yeah, really, Rick, yeah, well, right, Rick Moranis wanted to, right, yeah, I'll punch you in the dick, kid, get away from me. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> How do you make a guy like this even remotely endearing? He's never endearing. He has a moment at the end that he. Oh yeah, okay, I'll give you that. That's the most real fucking scene in the movie, right there. That's the that's the most believable interaction that they have. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and actually, I like that because I feel like okay, this is a nice way to end this movie. It's very emotional. Yeah, the ending is very emotional. There is there's one bit of this movie that, and this is a ninety minute film, so it's perfect for you. There's one bit of this movie that feels a little slow to me and a little like disjointed and it's when Tom Cody is with Ellen and McCoy and they're like on the train and and Tom Cody's you know wants to finish finish the basically finish his grudge with uh, Raven yeah you know this this grudge fight it just it kind of drags a little bit there Mm. to me just for just for a beat just for a beat yeah, I, I can see that. But the scene prior to that, when they meet the Sorrells, is fan fucking tastic. Yep, get some great stories from Michael Prey. Two weeks, two weeks, baby. Meeting the Sorrells. I mean, the Sorrells and the Sorrells too. Like Dustin said, you, you said they they're the most likable people in this movie. They are. It's this doo wop band that is uh in a in a rinky dink rundown school bus, and um their introduction to the movie is really entertaining. They're the most pure. I mean, they are the most pure. They're so pure, dude. And the most, I don't know, relatable, likable, funny, handsome, talented. Anyway, yeah, I could go on. (laughs) Keep going, keep going. Uh, Um, But did you notice that they, they, there's an interaction with some cops from a, from a neighboring town. Uh, Neighboring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize those cops at all? Yeah, well, there's a, a little there's a cop from uh, a little movie called Top Gun. Um, Rick. Oh, you're thinking about Rick Ross? Oh no, he's the partner. Duh. Yeah, he's the partner. Damn it. Uh, well, I'm th- I was thinking of Peter Jason. Pe- Peter, Peter Jason. Yeah, yes, Peter. J- this is okay. This is funny. So Peter Jason appeared, and it's this whole scene right where they're. Um, 
I just totally confused my cops for whatever reason. But there's a whole scene where, right, he's he's being very shady and corrupt, and he's like, uh, you know, yeah, give us some money, you know, you can get you can get by, kind of thing. And then, you know, Michael Prey loses his patience, and he's like, I'm just pulling a gun on these guys. But when I saw uh, him, I was like, he seems really old. Like he seems like older and, and, but, but, but there's a point that no one in this movie is over the age of 30. Like no one, there are no old people. And so even, even he was, was younger. He just has an older, he just has an older look. Yeah. He looks like, uh, and for a minute I was like, is meatloaf doing a cameo? And then I was like, Oh no, no, no. (laughs) Wow. That's actually pretty good. Uh, doppelganger right there. yeah, Yeah. That was, I had that moment. Yeah, Peter Jason has been, he's a character actor. He's the guy that you see and you're like, oh, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff because he has been in a bunch of stuff. A bunch of Walter Hill movies too yep. and John Carpenter movies. Right, well. isn't he the, he's like the one actor who's been in more John Carpenter, Walter Hill movies or something than I think so. any other I think actor? I think, I think, yeah, I think or you're something. right. He, he, was, he, was, he was on Podcasting After Dark. He was. Can you hear that? Actually, that's, is that, that's is, a great interview. Is that for, yeah. can people hear that? They can hear that. Yes, that's available for free. For free, all listeners. Okay, can check it out. there you go. That's yeah. my that's your third podcasting of dark plug. But uh, Peter Jason. But the other one episode. is Matthew Lawrence. Matthew Lawrence uh, was also in Joey in, Lawrence's younger brother. I mean, he's very young, but <laughs> he looks good, and he's believable. He's he's gravitas, and he's also in Eddie and the Cruisers. So oh yeah yeah go. right that that Matthew Lawrence sorry uh, Lawrence brothers I get confused. No, so I was going to say, you know, what, when you, what the Sorrells are like, uh, the Sorrells have this rundown van that serves a very important purpose, but they're perform they sing a song on the bus at one point to kind of, I feel it like they're auditioning for, for Rick Moranis's character a little bit mm-hmm. because, you know, he's this, he's this manager, yeah. right? And they need another, and they want, they want to be represented. They're selling themselves to him. And they're singing the song, and I'm like, is this the same vocalist as the one uh, later when they do I Can Dream About You, Dan Hartman? But it's not. So they have two different singers, mm. two different, um, you know, they, 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 the spoiler, the people who sing in this movie are not the actual singers of the, of the tracks in the, in the movie, uh, except for the, the Blasters, the one, uh, the one band, the, the Rockabilly the band. The 50s band, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they perform a song on the bus called countdown to love. Nice. And that's performed by Winston Ford. Okay. And I just, I, it's, I think he's worth noting because Winston Ford was a very, um, uh, prominent singer in, uh, in, in like the, the R and B, uh, Motown scene. Okay. And he unfortunately died in a car accident. Yeah, Winston Ford was in, he was a vocalist with uh, the Platters, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the Drifters. Okay, I mean that's yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty damn good resume in my opinion. It is. The Blasters um, sing a very repetitive song in the beginning where they're just like one bad stud, one bad stud. Th- that's my other scene that I'm kind of not a huge fan. One of. bad stud. Yeah, that's just kind of mood setting again, you know. Because they've got a weird the the dancer, they have a weird kind of stripper dancer yep, yep. who actually shows her 
uh, boobs. Her boobs. And this is a PG movie. Well, good work, MPAA. You ruined this it. This is before, well, they wanted originally to, to slap an R rating on it, but they but you they were able to. Stopped it. Stop. This is before PG-13, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, PG-13 did not exist. Um, do you want to talk about the soundtrack yet? Or I mean, I guess we, sh- we may as well uh, at this point. Here's, here's what I'll say. The last seven minutes of this movie, I love. Ditto. It's just like, it's, it, it makes the movie for me. It's like, I'm totally invested in everything that happens, you know, and even maybe a little bit before, right? Because you got the Rick Moranis redemption thing, right? Where he's now, you know, he's now signed the Sorrells and yeah. you're like, oh, he's not a total fucking jackass and they you know and he and cody comes to jesus have this yeah he and he and cody have this this little this little uh you know they make amends and it's nice and um yeah and then you've got tom cody who's like he just can't even he can't even say how he really feels and he's like i just gotta get out of here and he's basically like i'm not gonna you know ellen ames like so that's it you know you're gonna you're just not gonna say anything he's like yeah you know i can't I'm not going to hold your guitars for you. So, uh, but if you need me, if you need anything, I'll be there. Oh, gets me every yeah. time. And, uh, you know, but then the reality is, just like, I'm not waiting around for you, man. I'm a fucking rock star. Like, <laughs> but, um, you know, but she's still like, that's when she seems real young. Cause she's like stars in her eyes, you know, like first love kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, and I can dream about you, which is our song. Yeah, it is our song. I mean, this movie has this movie's soundtrack is really good. I, I just wanted to say, really quick, that there is a sequel <laughs> to this movie called Road to Hell. It's directed by Albert Pune. Um, it is fun to say. It's not um, well, as our good friend David Irons would say, it's it's not very good. Uh, but but you know, was that his accent? That's what it it's not very good. No, I, I always butcher his accent. It's not on, very I, good. Now, I've never heard his accent in in real time. So, and you guys will. You could if say you're Patreon subscribers. You could say whatever you want. I'd be like, that sounds like him. No, when you do hear it, it'll be like great impression. Zach, that is the the worst impression you've ever done. Of you're like, it's not very good. You're like doing a sling blade. Like, not very good. I reckon that's what David Arm sounds like. Um, Some folks say it's not very good, but I say it's very good. It's not me. very mm. good now, is it, Governor? He's <laughs> like Michael Caine. <laughs> what you think, huh? You think it's good? Nah, what? it's not good. Think? Yeah, it's Cockney. It's Cockney. All our all our UK listeners are like, "Fuck you guys." Just like that, and then you even did it. You even did a great accent just then. Fuck yeah. you guys. <laughs> If you're from the UK, honestly, though, this is a good uh, barometer to be like, oh, yeah, does anyone does anyone from the UK listen? If you do and you're offended, then we've done our jobs. Then blame Dustin. Blame me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So 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 Jimmy Iovine, Mm, legendary producer. Yes. Is is, is, he's the master behind um, the soundtrack. This soundtrack is ridiculous. Dr. Dre, collaborator. 
American Idol. No. <laughs> no. Sort of. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, this this soundtrack is is killer. I love it. Um, yeah, to answer our buddy Lee Germani's question, I have it on vinyl. I've got it on cassette. I've got a... That was Lee's question for you? No, no, no. But, oh. you know, Lee Germani's a big soundtrack head, so uh, nerd, I guess. Yeah, I'm in, and I am too. Yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> but this soundtrack is killer. It's got everybody from... It's got The Fix. It's got, uh, you know, and the, if you guys don't know who The Fix are... They were a really big deal back in the 80s. Um, one thing leads to another, Stand or Fall. They have a song on this song on this album called Deeper and Deeper, uh, which kind of, it plays in the end credits. It doesn't fit the movie. It doesn't fit the tone. Mm, it's very no. much a modern 80s song. No. Um, it doesn't have the same vibe, but it's still a good song. Uh, in this, and Ry Cooter did the score. Ry Cooter is uh, to say. a Walter Hill staple. He's done countless movies for Reich, for uh, Walter Hill and I think he's an Academy Award winner I think he won like or, or or a Grammy winner I mean he's a Grammy winner but I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for Buena Vista Social Club I believe oh um, god I feel like there's there's a, a vagina euphemism in there but I just can't <laughs> I can't use it in a sentence but Rye Cooter is great and uh <laughs> but but this <laughs> when you're thinking of Cooter from from uh Dukes of Hazard. Well, now I'm just thinking of, you know, like slang words, like, like, don't get yourself a rock cooter when you, <laughs> when you, I don't know. It's all disgusting. You shave rock cooter? Mm-hmm. What's you fake guy? You shaved your rock cooter? <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. good. It's not good, gentlemen. This is very not good. Can I get some taters and a raccooter? Mm-hmm. I must say, this is the worst episode of $2.8 fee I have ever not listened to. I think we're on to something. I think this could be a, a romantic comedy with a guy from the from the Brit, the, uh, London and uh, Slim Blade. <laughs> from the could be Britain cops. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. From that place where they call them chips, but they're not chips, they're taters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the fuck is a crisp, man? yeah um so so yeah like this the soundtrack is great um the the band fire incorporated which which is like a um it's 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 really interesting he took for that song they do the nowhere fast right yeah which is which uh, I don't like that song. Did voices. I say that already I don't like it you, you, no you didn't and yeah. I was gonna get to that too oh, okay you 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 talked about how you did not like that song because uh, we were like, what's going to be the song that we talk about on the sound for the soundtrack? And it's got to be Dan Hartman's I Can Dream About You. But then you're like, it's definitely can't be Nowhere Fast because I don't like that song. Right. Well, because it's like there's a there's a certain brand that Jim Steinman has where, you know, who's it's Jim, Jim Steinman for, for those that don't know. Jim Steinman, longtime collaborator of uh, Meatloaf and Meatloaf. Coincident, not coincidentally, incidentally, did a cover of this Nowhere Fast um, for his album Bad Attitude, kind of shortly after this movie came out. And, um, you know, Jim Steinman, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart, you know, he just has a very distinct sound. And um, he's done a bunch of musicals and he's great. 
don't get me wrong, but nowhere fast is like so. There's just so. Sometimes there's just there's too many syllables per note or something. It's like when you're standing on the you know, like what the fuck are you like? And you got a hot burger in your hand. Yeah. 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 And you're doing a thing and you don't know what to do. So you're going on. You're like, all right. Blowing like a man on the edge of a knife. Blowing like. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't love that song either. Um, but, uh, you know, all meatloaf. But anyway, I guess I'm not really a big meatloaf fan. If well, we're going to talk about it. But anyway. He's no longer with us. So. Yes. Rest in peace, meatloaf. But I, it's just musically, I don't. Um, Rocky Horror, maybe. Yeah. It's a very like uh it's very theatrical. Yes. Like, over the top. So yes, and 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 Fire Inc is is an amalgam of um various artists, uh Lori Sargent. Sherwood and Lori Sargent. Right. Yeah, Lori Sargent who's doing the voice of for Diane for uh Lane, Diane Franklin, Diane Lane and the Attackers as you mentioned are the real band and um but I do think tonight is what it means to be young is great song and it's made even more great by its story and its story is that streets of fire thought they were this is just so great streets of fire they're, yeah. they're like yeah we're gonna get bruce springsteen it's gonna be great it's gonna be amazing bruce springsteen the, the, the final song but bruce springsteen found out later i guess late in the process where they kind of begun like how much to clear this song he was like wait a minute you're not going to use my version, you don't want me to use my voice in the song. You want like a random singer to sing my song. He's like, yeah, eh, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not down with that. So, um, but the, the kind of punchline of this is that they already shot the ending with that song. Cause that song. like, we're getting that song. So we're shooting, the, we're shooting it. And then they were like, what? Oh, we don't, uh Oh, we don't actually have the rights. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Totally. That's the most appropriate sound for this. And then, you know, they'd already broken down the theater, right? They'd, they, right. So now yeah, a million dollar reshoot is on the table and Jim Steinman has two days, two days. To, like, can you write something? And he writes that song. You're like, whoa, dude, he wrote that song in two days. And they were like, this is a great song, Jim. This, this, that's, that's literally what they just said. They're like, this is a great song, Jim. We're going to, yeah, we got to build it up. Build the build the theory back up. We got to reshoot. We're gonna reshoot with this song, and they did. And it's a, and like Dustin said, and I agree with him. It's quite possibly the best seven minutes of the movie. Yep. That I can dream about you, followed by tonight. What tonight is what it means to be young. Yep. And uh, you know Dan Hartman, very nice to to clear to have the song used and sung by uh, the Sorrells and not him. Not him, not him. And then in, in, in we actually had, uh, when we had Joyce Heiser on our show, she's in the music video for this song. And Dan Hartman's in the music video too. He's, but he's like dancing with her while they're showing the Sorrells on like a TV monitor yeah. performing the song. He's it's very interesting. Dancing on the bar. Great way to, to, you know, cat, cat, cat call, you know, or, or to like, come on lady, come dance with me. I'm going to do the river dance on the bar. And, <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. Dan Harbin is, and he's so, he's such a great singer. And, uh, he had a great song in the Fletch soundtrack. Get out of town. Get out of town. Oh man. I always forget that that's him. I, that's my least favorite song on the Fletch what? soundtrack. Oh, <gasps> 
From now to Alaska, south to Rio, get out of get town. Get out of town, get out of town. Yeah. Oh. I was like, get out of my ears song. Oh, no, you're wrong. He, Sorry, you're wrong. When he pretends to be uh, whatever, an inspector or whatever. Oh, shit, there's Fred. <laughs> huh? <Yeah. laughs> the guy, yeah. the, the kid with the braces. Or ah. Huh? Did you steal that's this great, car? I love that. I'm not even I love sure that's that a crime anymore. <laughs> I love that song. Fletch aside, because I love that song. Yeah. And, 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 but um, I'm not wrong. Listeners. You are wrong. Hey, guys. Okay. Take a poll right now. Live poll. Okay. Erin Gilmer chimed in. She likes it. Uh, uh, nope. Da- nope. David Irons. Okay. Here's the here's a better question. What's a better song? I Can Dream About You or Get Out of Town? Oh, I Can Dream About okay, You. Okay, fine. Is Get Out of Town top on the Fletch soundtrack? It's not the top song on the Fletch soundtrack. You you did say it's your least favorite, so yeah. that's not saying. But then you said it's not a good song, right? I would never put it on. Like I wouldn't like take Bodie to school with it, which I'm sure you do. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I would never it's be on my like workout mix. Would, oh no 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 no! You can't work out yeah. to that. No, that yeah, is not do. a workoutable song. Yeah, you do. No, no, you your reps are all off. They're mistimed. I, I push more weight on that no, song versus the heat is on. That is I can tell you that. That is impossible. No, it is possible. I think you visually think you're pushing more weight, but you're you're only lifting twenty pounds. <laughs> no. It's impossible. Bench you. How does the how do the verses of that song go? South to Rio. Get out of town. That's not a verse. No, that's that's the chorus. No, what's the verse? Wait. How does it how does it start? Um I don't know the lyrics, but <laughs> you play a little, play a little for everybody so they can hear it. Just a, look, just a, a little, just a tease. I'm not. So good. And then now we'll now that you've heard that we'll we'll go into a little I can dream about you. No But let me say this. Let me ask you this question. This is a very important question. Okay. Does the movie make these songs better? Meaning watching it visually while listening to the song, is it better than just listening to the song? Uh, yeah, I think it's a good question. And yes, it, it, it does. Thinking that the Sorrells sang, I can dream about you. Stoney Jackson being the lead singer of the Sorrells. Yeah. Does that make you like the song more? No. In fact, in fact, it's reversed for me because my intro to the song was not connected to this movie. Oh, how was it? I just, you know, on the radio. I was like, oh, that's okay. a great song. And then after the fact, I was like, oh, it's a Streets of Fire. 
Oh, because I, I mine's the flip. Yeah. So, so Stony Stony has no connection. It has a retro connection to me with that. Maybe song. that's why I vibe so much of 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 like who he is in this movie because I like connect him with this song so much. That makes sense. Yeah. And you guys want to know something? We're gonna have Stony Jackson what? on the show. Wow. If you guys have listened this far, bonus. Yeah. You, you know you present. have. You're tuned in. I don't understand it. Bone Stony's coming. Stony's coming on two weeks after Michael Pere. Actually, no, no, he's not. Sooner, sooner than that. Uh, so stay tuned. June. Stay tuned. But yeah, uh, this song is great. The soundtrack as a whole is great. Um, I, I I think really quick before we kind of jump into facts about the the year this movie came out 1984 the visual promoting items for this movie are fantastic the poster for this film is maybe actually no the poster for this movie is my favorite poster of all time i have the original one sheet uh of this poster when they were promoting it before it came out with a big picture of michael pere on the front like this uh this beautiful color yeah. like the neon colors and 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 there's like several different um posters that came out for this like neon green great marketing department neon, yeah great marketing so i just wanted to just add that in there yeah yeah really 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 cool it's just too bad that the movie was not successful when it initially came out i think it's gotten more successful over time mm-hmm. yeah I, w- I would agree with that i think it has gotten more successful i think more people are aware of it, and the legend continues. Remo Williams. I, I just want to ask you one question uh, before we get into what uh, fun facts about 1984. Um, really quick, in the beginning of the movie, when Tom Cody goes into the the the, the, the diner, um, Reva, his sister, is there, but there's another waitress there. Did you recognize that other waitress? This is not a, a what does Dustin know? This is just a random line? This is just a... You know, you either uh, did or you didn't. I, and if you didn't, I'm going to tell you who it I is. I didn't. Uh, that's Olivia Brown. Does that name sound familiar? Nope. She was on Miami Vice. Oh, okay. For five years. Okay, there you go. And she was in 48 Hours as well. And she was in Throw Mama from the Train. But Oh. What, was she like a student of... Dan, of uh, she was Ms. Gladstone in that. I don't know what that... Uh, but I mean, she was in Miami Vice. She was like the, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the. She was the 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 partner to uh, the other. Like they were the two female the leads on that show. Girl, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, you like how I don't know either of the female leads in Miami Vice's names right now. Well, now we're saving that up for when we uh, when we do a murder or vice show. Oh yeah, yeah. Murder she wrote or Miami Vice. Murder she wrote. Down the road. Okay. Okay. Should we talk about some fun facts from 1984? Sure. Okay. So really quick, um, in sports, I thought of you specifically when I pulled this fun fact from 1984. In 1984, in professional basketball, Donald Sterling relocated oh, yeah. Jesus. the San Diego Clippers mm-hmm. To Los Angeles mm. in 1984. Destined them to a life of mediocrity. He, he was having them reuse medical tape and all this shit. It's fucking 
cocksucker. Not a not a fan of Donald Sterling. Oh, he's despicable. Okay. You know you know is the it, whole thing with him, right? Is he the no, what tell me. Oh tell yeah. I mean he's he's the racist like he you know, approached like players as if he owned them and then um he had this mistress who was black and he got really upset that she was oh no, she's was she black? She Yeah, he basically came out that he was very upset that she was talking to Magic Johnson and like she got him on tape saying all this horrible, horrific shit and then um uh he was forced to sell the team. Forced to sell the team. Oh yeah. Really. That that wasn't that long ago too. No. Right? That was in with, within the last ten it years. It was uh twenty fourteen, I believe. Wow. Okay. Or maybe it was twenty fifteen that, that season. Wow. It was like right in the middle of the Clippers playoff run. It was terrible timing. They wow. were all distracted. Yeah, so yeah. for you guys that don't for you guys and gals that don't know, um, Dustin is a huge NBA fan and that's why there's a great What Does Dustin Know segment that features the NBA playoffs. Uh, you should check that out on our Patreon, by the way. 1991. Um, but 84 was a big year for the NBA because there were some dudes that were drafted in 84. I'm just going to list off a few of them. Go, go, go do Hakeem it. Olajuwon. Number one. Michael Jordan. Number two. Charles Barkley. Was he number three? I and John Stockton. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about four of the greatest basketball franchise of all time. franchise guys. All yeah. of them. Yep. Their teams respectively. Yep. Insane. I just I I don't know. I saw I'm like 84 was a good year yeah. all around. Some people have actually said that 84 is 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 maybe the best year of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, For life. Yeah, I mean. For us, it could be TV, uh, movies, be, music. Yeah, I mean, in 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 movies, you're talking about the Ghostbusters came out that year. You know Beverly who likes Hills Ghostbusters Cop. is uh, Corey, uh, the co-host of Podcasting After Dark. <laughs> you can watch that on or listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, if you have time. We're actually a really nice. Like you can listen to. You can well. You can listen to all the shows on the Geekscape Network, of course. Uh, which I'm oh yeah, we're a part of that. Have. I forgot. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and listen to podcasting after dark too, because they're great as well. Um, and 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 all the other you, whatever whatever podcasts that <laughs> podcasting after dark has its own network it's the, and they're great. Too. The weirdest diplomatic podcast ad. You're like what? Well, so whatever, whatever you want to listen okay. to. I mean, whatever podcast is great. You don't have to listen to podcast. You can listen to nothing. No, you listen to us. Either way. Just put us at the top. Put us at the top of your queue um, because you know you love us and we love you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in music, <laughs> the top song for 1984. Like a Virgin. This actually kind of surprised me no. across the board. Biggest hit single of 1984. Prince. Was George Michael's Careless Whisper. Oh, okay. Cool. Wow. Cool. <laughs> cool beans. It's uh, it's not good. It's <laughs> so so guys, we're gonna we're gonna do a segment of Oh it's not good? No, I'm just kidding. Sexy sax man? No, I'm just I'm just uh has it been an hour and a half? Yeah, I've hit my hour and a half mark, so I've I've gone loopy. No, we got seven minutes, yeah. I've gone loopy. We're gonna stretch it out to 14 but um okay so guys guys 
in two weeks, we've got Michael Perret. Bam. Followed by Stoney Jackson. Bam. So we've got, and, and Michael Perret tells a Stoney Jackson story. Bam. Stoney Jackson's going to tell him some, some more stories about Streets of Fire and amazing other projects he's done in the 80s uh, for sure. But stay tuned for all that stuff. That's so much fun stuff's going on on our show. Um, if you are not a Patreon, consider becoming one. The What Does Dustin Know segment for Streets of Fire is going to be very entertaining and fun. Check it out. Uh, $2 six questions with celebrity guests, tales from the video store with our own personal stories. Then we have guests from other podcasts like Corey from Podcasting After Dark again. And uh, Why Does Zach Own This is another great segment. Zach owns weird shit. And then I'm like, why? That's what that segment is. Yeah, and if yeah. you subscribe to our highest tier, which we have a few of you out there, um, it we we make cultivated mix CDs for you, the individual, and, and they curated, are great. also curated, curated, cultivated, cultivated <laughs> curated, cuckold, or yeah, oh yeah, yeah, tickled. The the balls yeah. are tickled. Yep, tickle the ivories. Yep. Um, they're yep. good. They're they're great. They're great. Those of you that already own one or several, you know they're great. Yeah, they're great. Um, and there's more. There's more. So go check out our Patreon, $2 Lake B. Uh, it's in the show notes. And, and we love you guys. Thank Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one hit wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the one hit thunder or was nothing more than a one hit blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet... Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 